Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bostig, and I'm going to be your host. Today we're welcoming back Laurie Ulster, who was originally in episode 16. If you'd like some background on who Laurie is and what she's done for the Star Trek community, you might want to start there. Otherwise, if you just want to get into today's discussion, let's go. On mic today, we have Laurie Ulster back after almost a year. How have you been, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I am doing great. I'm glad to have you back, and I'm looking forward to this little chat here. So am I. I had a really good time the last time. Yeah. And a lot has changed since the last time. You and I were just talking off mic about how our sense of community has just been shattered given everything that's happened in 2020. And on a slightly more positive note, we've had so much new Star Trek content that wasn't even on the horizon when we last chatted. So it, it really feels like it, it's a whole new world. Yeah, there's a ton. There's a ton more content. And also the one thing is everybody's learning how to do everything online. And so there are all these virtual cons and I've been enjoying them a lot. There are a lot of good ones. Which ones have you been to? Well, I've just I just go to the panels mm-hmm. um, and I don't buy autographs and things, but um, like a bunch of the next generation, Deep Space Nine, Discovery. They have there's there's one coming up with William Shatner and Henry Winkler together for that show that they did. Okay. Uh, but that looks fun. So I think there's like there's GalaxyCon, Virtual TrekCon. There've been a bunch of different ones. And then those stars in the house, they did a reunion, a fundraising reunion for Voyager that was fantastic. Oh. I heard about that. I wasn't able to attend too many of these things. I was invited to one or two and had a great time doing that. It, it's great. It's a nice little stopgap, but it, it isn't quite the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it isn't except that you don't have to pay for a hotel or a flight or go stand in line. So that part's nice. Mm-hmm. So it's and all, on the feet. And they're all they're all uh, accessible later online. So that's fun too. I highly recommend that Stars in the House Voyager reunion because I laughed out loud many many times. The Voyager cast in general has a lot of good stories and a lot of great personalities. They do. They, I mean, Next Generation, it's almost like they all know each other too well. Mm-hmm. That you feel like you're eavesdropping a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they've all, been, they've all been fun. I've been enjoying them. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I write for Trek Movie, as you know. And so mm-hmm. they've been reporting. We've been doing reporting on anything that kind of pops that sounds a little bit newsier, like something we haven't heard before. Although today, I'll tell you, I heard something very fun on... Do you listen to the Delta Flyers podcast? I've heard a couple episodes. So just for people who might not know what it is, it's uh, Garrett Wong and Robert Duncan McNeil from Voyager, and they're going through the show chronologically, episode by episode. Um, and I've been enjoying it. I actually interviewed them for it. I had a very long interview with them, which was fantastic. But this morning, I was listening to it, and they said that... Um, uh, Ethan Phillips told them that he played Neelix for all the seasons he was on as if he had a big crush on Janeway. I could see that. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to be watching the episodes a little differently looking for that. I thought that was wow. fascinating. That alone justifies a Voyager rewatch for me. Yeah, totally. You can watch that. I'm, I'm doing a Deep Space Nine rewatch right now, but um, that feels like a good reason to rewatch. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm immediately stopped. Okay, I didn't see Neelix, but okay, Neelix has a crush on Janeway. Chakotay obviously has a crush on Janeway. 
we have a lot of people thinking Seven and Janeway were a thing. And I have a friend now who keeps putting Bolana and Janeway together. So I'm wondering <laughs> how many people on the ship didn't have a thing for Janeway. Well, here's my question. How could you not have a thing for Janeway? That's the logical next question. Yes. So I, I got to interview Kate Mulgrew again since the last time you and I spoke. Mm-hmm. And it was she's the most extraordinary human being. So I say everyone should have a crush on her and on Janeway. I could agree to that. So <clears throat> the next thing I would think of when you're talking about characters who were played with crushes, uh, the next thing that comes to mind is Garrick and Bashir. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. And I will be honest with you. I did not see that watching it growing up. I did not see it on any of the reruns until uh, Andy said that that was deliberately a choice he was making. It wasn't coming across to me. So I'm, I'm trying to now reevaluate how I see that myself. Yeah, I, I think it probably didn't come across to you. I mean, I don't, I don't know your specific background, but, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people as kids weren't even exposed to the idea that that was an option. Mm-hmm. So it would be something that a lot of kids didn't pick up on or, you know, younger adults didn't pick up on. Mm-hmm. And now we look at our pop culture and it's finally starting to reflect the reality of, of human relationships. So it might be something that we're more open to recognizing now. I mean, as soon as that became a thing that people were talking about, I could see it all over all the episodes. Sure. And, and I'm thinking when I go back and rewatch it, that'll be my experience too. I, I always interpreted it not so much in a sexual way or a romantic way or even really an attraction way. I saw it in terms of life experience because Garrick was coming in as a, a person who was not just older, but had some extremely sinister experiences in life. He was used to doing the dirty work and comes into Bashir, who's fresh out of the academy, a young dopey guy who might be genetically engineered and a genius and all that, but he's still just like, I really like watching James Bond movies. They're awesome. Yeah. And I mean, he was just putty in the hands of somebody who actually knew how the world worked. Right. And, and that's how I saw it. And, th- and that's just the dynamic I kept seeing between them. So if there's more to it, lead me through that. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's all there. I think what you described is exactly that. Um, but I think there is there is more to it. You can see it. And it's all, it, look, to some degree, it's in the eye of the beholder if they don't mm-hmm. say it out loud. So it's what you pick up on. Sure. But, but it all made perfect sense to me and it all connected. There's a certain attention he's he's very Garrick's very focused on Bashir Mm -hmm. um in a way that starts to feel like an attraction Mm -hmm. because he's so it's such a part of his he gives him so much of his attention and pays attention to everything that he does yes and when I was watching it originally I said I just knew because Garrick was so focused he was a guy who played the long game he would he was a manipulator so I'm thinking He's obviously seeing Bashir as an asset he can use down the road because, right. yeah, as, as, a, as an agent, he's like, well, man, at some point I'm going to need a Federation operative to do a favor for me. And this dude is prime supposed to candidate number one here. So put a spin on that and call it wooing. There you go. <laughs> there you go. 
So and and also with the knowledge that probably nothing was ever going to happen because Bashir was such a heterosexual dude. Correct. And you know, I can sit here and say yeah, but so was Garrick and then I realized I never saw Garrick with a female love interest throughout the whole show. Didn't he near the end? Didn't he fall in love with Ducat's daughter? Did Okay, you're you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay. But you know, he seems flexible. Yeah, or at the very least, he might have had some conflicts of of his own. Sure. But yeah, it's interesting how many of these situations come up where it's like a show has been off the air for decades, and then the actors or the writers pop up and say, yeah, I was trying to slip this in there. How many people noticed that? Right, which is fun. It's great to discover these additional layers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get that with books. Whenever you reread a book, you Mm -hmm. pick up something else because now you know the story. Mm-hmm. And so you can focus a little more. So it's great when it happens in TV shows. And of course, Star Trek is full of smart writing and great characters and really good actors and an endless parade of incredible character actors. So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of stuff in there that, that makes it worth constant rewatching. Um, mm-hmm. Trek movie, we do a, every week a Sunday night rewatch of usually an episode, occasionally a movie. And it's so much fun to watch it in a group. We get on Zoom and then we watch it. We are all watching it sort of separately, queuing it up to the same point, but we're all looking at each other on Zoom and talking. And it's been one of the highlights of this time, this weird time that we're in. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm hoping we continue it long afterwards. Yeah, and it's it's great to have these little study sessions there to pick up on these things. And you know, I think that there are some of us who might just take it a little too far and read in stuff that's not there, but you don't you don't find the stuff unless you try. Yeah. Yep, I agree. And so, look, some stuff... I mean, I don't see the Balana Janeway thing at -hmm. all, like, as a romantic connection. I just see them as two people who are so recognized a kindred spirit in terms Mm -hmm. of science and technology and discovering new things and trying new things. But it's it's all how you want to look at it, and I don't know that anyone's wrong if they see it differently. No. Uh... Actually, right before our last chat, somebody else had made a great point to me, and it's something that I will I will plant my feet in the ground and defend this. It's like, I can look and say, I don't see a connection between these two characters, and I can point to the source material and say, it's not there. But if somebody who is questioning who they are or questioning how they want to look at life looks at these two characters and say, Seeing that there gives me some direction and gives me some sense of belonging. I am not going to take that away from them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and more than the, the point, I mean, if you can say, well, are Balana and Janeway a thing? And I can say no. But then if you turn around and try to tell me that Trelane is not a member of the Q continuum, I am going to get so mad and I'm going <laughs> to argue with you. And it's like, it's the same conversation. Shut up. Right. <laughs> That's the beauty of being a Star Trek fan. There are really five is. million things to argue about at any mm-hmm. given moment, including the quintessential, is this really Star Trek question, which it has no meaning as far no. as I'm concerned. <laughs> it, it really isn't. And I'm confused why it's a conversation. I, I yeah. really am. No, it's the, so it's the, people have such anger. I had, this is so weird, but I had written a review of one of the Star Trek Picard episodes for Mm -hmm. Trek Movie and had brought up some minor feminist moment in the show that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And I got, some guy was so angry 
that he found me on Twitter, sent me some very nasty messages, including a screenshot of him Googling my obituary. Oh, my. So, I mean, I just blocked him and I didn't respond and I screenshot it because it was bizarre and freaky, (laughs) sort of Mm -hmm. hilarious. But just and that was because of a a review of a TV episode. Yeah, Uh, I had a similar experience last week and I it it was odd and I really don't want to get specifics. I don't want these people to get more attention than they're already getting. But it just it's odd because it goes instantly from. We're going to argue about Star Trek to we're going to argue about what you know about what you like. And to me, that's a very strange path to take. It really is. It's it's I don't understand where it all comes from. I was such a lonely little Star Trek fan for most of my life that now that I'm part of communities, Mm -hmm. I love it. I love being able to have those conversations with people and being able to argue a point in a fun, lighthearted fascinating way and hearing someone else's view when they see things totally differently is very entertaining and the people who get angry and upset about it are just in a whole category by themselves yeah they are and i i want them to have their view i want them to voice their opinion but you cannot then say your opinion overrules mine because of this reason now yeah we both watched we're both fans if we disagree, that's cool. I mean, I am a huge Batman fan. I love Batman. I love comics in general. There was a point about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where I looked at the comics I bought and said, I didn't enjoy reading these. I'm not going to buy any more for a long time. Did that you, go, did, did you I, go find people who liked them and then yell at them? No. <laughs> Nor did I say the comic books they bought weren't real. I, I, or they weren't real fans because they read them. It's like, no, I just... I moved on and found other things in the meantime. Yeah, no, I know. It's ridiculous. I mean, I'll be on Twitter and people talk about Enterprise, which is my least favorite of all the Star Trek shows. I like okay. some things about it, but other mm-hmm. mostly had a lot of issues with it. But I don't feel the need to go tell them that when they're saying something nice about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, and and I, we could have this discussion by itself all day because I was a huge Enterprise fan, acknowledging there were some issues, but every show has them. Sure. But, you know, you have things you really like, and I'm on board with that. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, my least popular Deep Space Nine opinion is that I didn't love the serialized war arc, which everybody else says was the best part of the show. I would agree with them. Right. And I disagree, and I I found those to be my least favorite, least compelling episodes, and they felt less Star Trek-y to me. And yet, I still would say they're really good episodes. Mm-hmm. And in my rewatch, when I get to that phase, I'm going to watch them all. But it's just somebody's taste. And it's fine. I still think it's a, it's a brilliant show. Mm-hmm. Just that first, even that first season is very strong. Mm-hmm. And, and interesting, because I really, I think DS9 does have a strong first season. There's, there's two episodes that I think just fumble around a little bit. But... I, I really think it does come into its own after season three and especially after season four. And I really like the fact that they have the serialized arc. And, and the point I'm making is there's not a reason to completely throw something in the trash because a part of it wasn't your th- speed. Right. Yeah, exactly. I will say this. I think they're 
pilot, the first episode, is not only the best Star Trek first episode, mm-hmm. I think it's up there maybe in the top five first episodes of any show ever. I and it's and Deep Space Nine isn't my favorite Star Trek show, um, but that pilot, if you look at it and break it down, mm-hmm. is extraordinary. The way they introduced every character, the way they introduced such a massive theme so beautifully and and it had tremendous emotional resonance mm-hmm. I, I think that, that's that makes a lot of sense there yeah I, as a writer i was in awe of what they how they managed to introduce each character just blew me away and then the whole thing with you live here with benjamin cisco and they keep bringing him back to his wife's death and saying you live here it was one of the best portrayals of grief that i've ever seen and that comes back many times with with Ben uh, later on with Jake dealing with the potential of losing his father, dealing with the people who have lost people in the war. I think the show really does have an almost heartbeat effect of dealing with grief. Yes. And they, you have a culture that dealt with being occupied and losing a part of their identity because of it. Yeah. No, it had those strong, deep threads running through all of it. It's powerful stuff. And just to even take that a step further, everybody looks at how the Vajorans suffered, and they absolutely did. But you have to then take a step back and say, why were the Cardassians these warmongers? Because their planet ran short on resources, so they realized they had to either pillage and plunder or starve to death. And that destroyed their culture. So everything becomes a continuing of suffering when you start to look at it on the long scale. I was just thinking how cool it would be to have a mini series or a limited series about uh, Cardassians. Yeah, and I realize it would be risky because it 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 becomes the you know blame the victim thing. But it, in a historical sense, we all become the victim at some point. You just have to know what time period to look at. Yeah, well, no, and they made terrible choices. Like their reaction to it was not an appropriate reaction. Correct. So it wouldn't be sympathizing with them in that way. But I just, I it was, they are such great villains, mm-hmm. complicated villains. Mm-hmm. And it, Star Trek, and especially when they got the DS9, really avoided the, the temptation to turn them into these comic book empire type villains. They were like, okay, as a whole, we don't like them. As a whole, they make bad choices. But when you break them down to the individual, you see the person who's just following orders, the person who got caught up with the wrong gang, the person who has to do this or they'll starve or get shot. I mean, you start to sympathize with the individuals in a larger group. Maybe. I mean, some of them were just jerks. But yeah. <laughs> but yes, I think, to, I think there was a complexity there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, going back to Garrick for a second there, we never really found did we ever find out exactly why he was left on ds9 we assume things i mean i'll let you know at the end of my rewatch to see what i missed but um (laughs) i think we got bits and pieces Mm -hmm. that you could put together and i'm sure he had uh, he had it all in his head somewhere i'm sure i'm sure but i i mean just even though you know this dude is not to be trusted and you know this dude has done horrible things when he says, I want to go home, there's a human party that says, ooh, okay, ouch. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he's, I mean, he himself is a very complex, layered guy, but even mm-hmm. the the straight, the more straight-on villains 
that were Cardassians were were fascinating characters. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, let's let's just go completely whole hog here. Let's pick Gul Dukat, who is like the you know, who is the Darth Vader of that area. He's like he's just he's just all bad, and and you fear him, and it's like, and you get to the end, and you find out he's just crazy. Yeah. Like, okay. Um. Can I completely hate you if you don't even have your mar- marbles about you? Then I'm asking myself that because I don't have an answer. Yeah, I mean, maybe he got more crazy as the show went on. I don't know if he started out crazy. Mm-hmm. I think there's, you know, it's it's what happens with power. Mm-hmm. And it's what happens when people don't challenge you anymore. Mm-hmm. So that can take an ingredient of you that might lean towards crazy and amplify it until you get there. But and, he was... And- really nuts by the end oh yeah and and in your position doing a rewatch you can actually try to peg exactly what point does he completely leave the farm yeah i mean i'm only in season two right now okay so we'll see what happens it's it's a fascinating series and i i I envy anybody who's watching it for the very first time yeah so do i Although when I hear that people are watching the original series for the first time, I I get very jealous because mm-hmm. that show is imprinted on my soul. <laughs> I I wonder if you have to be able to watch it earlier on in the fandom when there aren't as many competing shows. Maybe. I mean, I watched it as a kid when there was nothing else, and I watched it over and over and over. It also had a you know a shorter run than the other mm-hmm. shows. So you were able to devour every single episode, every book that was written about it, every interview that was given about it. You could find it all and mm-hmm. know it all. It was a closed system for a little while. That was an amazing time. It, it's a fuzzy memory for me because I do remember the world before Next Gen, but I was so young. Those memories are very, very nebulous to me. But when I really got into the show, it was just the original series and Next Gen. And the two were just like these sometimes enemies, sometimes friends playing against each other. (laughs) Yeah, I had a longer time when there was not even a movie. There Mm -hmm. was just a dead series. That was all I had was a dead series that I loved and that nobody around me felt the same way about. Oh, I know that feeling. Yeah. So, I mean, my siblings would watch it with me, and they all have an affectionate spot, I think, for the original series. But I was a crazily obsessed little lonely little nerd. (laughs) (laughs) And now I have so many. I mean, but I have the Trek movie team. I have all these fantastic friends on Twitter um, and a couple of friends who are also huge fans. And it's it's a whole new world, let me tell you. And also getting paid to write about it, getting to interview people who worked on it. So that's a huge change from that. I wish I could go to that little kid and say, by the way, I got some good news for you. Yeah, that's that's a conversation you wish you could have. Because at the time, especially, you know, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it was for you, it's like when you when this stuff isn't big money, it isn't big news. It's just why are you watching this old show and nobody gets it? Right. I remember being at some event with my mom, like we were helping a friend who was doing a sale. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't even matter. But there was a woman. I was set. They said, oh, can you go work that booth? And there was a woman there and she had a button pinned to her shirt. And I looked at her and I went, is is that a United Federation of Planets button? And she said, I can't believe you know that. And we had this like amazing me. I was some kid and a grown woman just having the most fantastic conversation because we were the only ones. She obviously didn't have people around her either. 
Mm-hmm. So I just, it's funny that I remember it many decades later. That's well, such you, a big moment. You had to have a, a sign. It was like you were wearing a secret symbol, even though everybody probably knew what it was or thought they, nobody would make the connection and think to wear it unless they wanted to broadcast that, hey, you can talk to me about this. Well, it's why I like my deep cut stuff. Like I have, I got a t-shirt that uh, says the Daystrom Institute on mm-hmm. it. So if you're not a Star Trek fan, you are not going to know that I am one when you look at it. Because um, you don't know what the Daystrom Institute is. But if you mm-hmm. are a Star Trek fan, you're going to recognize instantly. And so I like the deep cuts because no one's going to make fun of you. No one's going to roll their eyes at you. And anyone who recognizes it, if they recognize it, they're in the same boat you are. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, if you, you wear something like that, I mean, you're selling these things at Walmart, which wasn't didn't used to be a big thing you wouldn't wear this you wouldn't get star wars stuff unless there was a movie in the theater right then that didn't happen you just said star wars dude i know oh okay and and i'm thinking that specifically because star wars for me is it's more of a perpetual brand now yeah i mean people you're, you're seeing stuff on the shelves now even when there's no movie in sight and it's just kind of around star trek kind of comes and goes as they make new movies and new shows well, I also think Star Wars has a huge kid fan base. Yeah. Which Star Trek does not. I don't think kids are watching it. I mean, some, but not mm-hmm. a lot of them. So Star Wars can make more t-shirts, more toys, and they think, and it's something that adults and kids share together, whereas Star Trek has always been more, um, more adult-focused, at least, you know, the last bunch of iterations. And especially, generally, what's going on with it now. It's very adult. Well, that's why they're doing a kid's show. They're doing a separate kid's show. And that's actually what I was trying to get at earlier when I was flummoxing around. (laughs) Um, You were talking about, you know, when your show is dead and you have not, you don't even have the movie to look forward to yet. But there was the animated series. Not where I lived. I was in Canada. Okay. I've been, I was trying to figure this out because... I, you know, Aaron uh, and Rich, who wrote the animated series book, I was their copy editor on the book, and I remember trying to find this answer at the time, and then I brought it up during a recent panel that they, that um, Aaron did with Dayton Ward. Um, but nobody knows the answer to that. As far as I know, it was not on in Canada, because I would have found it. I used to literally read every, pa- this is going to make me sound like I'm 150 years old, but mm-hmm. I used to get, we got TV Guide in the mail, because that was how you found out what was on, mm-hmm. and I would flip through the pages looking for Star Trek. So if there was an animated series that I could have watched, I would have watched it. Yeah, and the animated series for me, when it came on Nickelodeon in the mid to late 80s, was my unofficial introduction to the show. That's, that was where I finally got my feet wet. I wasn't around for the original airing, but it, it's odd to me that it didn't really get mentioned even by the diehard fans, until like the late 90s, early 2000s. And, and it's like, when you're thirsty for content, why aren't you taking at least what's there? I mean, there's there's a lot of dispute about the quality of it and the whole, I mean, forget the canon argument, which is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, when I finally watched it, which was a long time later, like I finally got the whole collection and I could make my way through it. And then when I was... Um, helping them with the book, I watched it all much more closely and watched every single episode. I mean, uh, uh, to be honest, it's it's Star Trek light. It's 
that it's cliche dialogue and cliche mm-hmm. character behavior because they had to squeeze it, these big Star Trek stories into a much shorter time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little goofy. It's very yeah. goofy. And, and the dialogue, Spock's dialogue, is almost how you would write a parody of Spock in a lot of ways. Sure. So that's probably why it didn't get a lot of the attention. Even if the stories are good or the ideas are good, and there are so many great moments, it's certainly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But it is hard sometimes to take it all that seriously. I, I would agree. And I'm on the side of the people. I really think it's got some good ideas. It's got some good stories. It makes the best of what it can with the time constraints it has. And I, yeah. I really the time constraints are its biggest flaw for sure. Uh, but I mean, the short treks and uh, lower decks now, I think they're succeeding because they're picking stories that are smaller in scope and trying to tell those. Yeah, I mean, lower decks I'm loving. I just mm-hmm. think it's so much fun. And then short treks, I lo- there's some I love, some I like, some I don't like, but I love that they're experimenting. So I think the more that they just keep experimenting and trying new things, I'm going to watch all of them. Mm-hmm. And then the ones I love, I'll rewatch. And the ones I don't, it's fine. But the experimentation is great and why not? And if if that experimentation, if trying comedy to see how it works leads to someone greenlighting lower decks, then it's mm-hmm. completely worth it. And comedy has always been a part of the show. I mean, going back to, say, Trouble with Tribbles, which was really just written to be a funny hour of TV. I mean, that there's... How about iMud? When we were kids, when we were kids, we went berserk for iMud. I mean, we loved it. It was so funny because they all got to ham it up and play ridiculous characters and dance around. It was hilarious. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It confuses me when we talk about the people who get way too upset over this stuff. It confuses me when they say this is not a part of Star Trek. This is not what Star Trek is. And it's like they are deliberately skipping over some things that disprove what they're talking about. Yeah, and it's not just with comedy. I see it in even things that I've thought, oh, I don't think Star Trek should do that or does do Mm -hmm. that. And then I'm rewatching something. I go, oh. It's been there for a very long time. <laughs> it, it has. Uh, like, just just to pick one really easy example, and I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with this. I'm just saying it's there because I just can watch it on the screen. Sure. Well, people are like, well, you know, there shouldn't be so much sex in Star Trek, and and you know, it was not okay to put Seven of Nine in that cat suit because that's not what Star Trek should be. I'm like, the very first episode had a girl wearing nothing but green body paint dancing around. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm still going to disagree that Seven of Nine should have had to wear that. I, but, I, I'm with, but I'm with it's, that. It's, but not only has it always been a sexy show, mm-hmm. um, Kirk was a sex object. A hundred percent. And he was fine with it and he loved it. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact that, I'll say for all of its sort of flaws with women, there was definitely equal opportunity in the sex object department. Yeah. And when they realized that Leonard Nimoy was popular that way too, they found ways to explore that. Um, how could you not? exactly but Shatner come on that ripped shirt constantly Mm -hmm. and how he would offer himself like if I can save the ship by having sex with this woman so you know he he did that stuff a lot and seemed to really have a good time and why did they bring in Walter Koenig because there was a small segment of the population that thought William Shatner was too old for them and they couldn't let them go they had to find somebody to appeal to them yeah (laughs) 
Well, I hope it worked. I think it did. <laughs> but and again, I, I want to say for the fact I'm not saying we should have had seven in the cat suit. I'm just saying that wasn't the first time we had that notion come across on the screen. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it, it's not it, that and well, the drama or the gore, it was like there's always been a moment where Star Trek said, let's take the story in this direction and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I'd rather look at things as individual choices than uh-huh. try and constantly, you know, shoehorn them back into some historical perspective of whether or not they should have done it. It's whether or not they should have done it when you're watching it. Yeah. So sometimes, the you know, I thought that the, you know, everyone talks about the Borg violence on Picard. Mm-hmm. And I like to each ebb, and I agree that was unnecessarily brutal. It would had a little Game of Thrones feel to it with the mm-hmm. sound and everything like that. And I do think that people generally don't think they're going to come face to face with that when they're watching Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have made that same choice, but I also don't think it's anti Star Trek. No, and in fact, let's let's just take a tactic. It's not the first time. This is not your first rodeo. Um, I won't talk about that scene because some people might not have seen it yet. I try not to do spoilers. Oh, okay. But if you have seen First Contact, it opens with a scene of Picard getting a drill in his eye. So are you telling me there's that much of a difference? Did they really make that much of a step further? I think they did turn it up quite a bit. Okay, I'll be fair honest. enough. I do think they, they turned up the volume on it. Um, but there's... It's... Again, I think that you can critique that choice without having to look at the history necessarily mm-hmm. and just say, yeah, they, they should have scaled it back. It was too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel that about a, that way about a lot of the shows that I watch. And look, Game of Thrones changed when people started saying, we don't need all this gratuitous rape and female nudity. It's too much. Mm-hmm. And they did scale it back when they recognized that they were just going to it as, I guess, a go-to. Yeah. So um, there's always a way to talk about it without having to get morally indignant about the history of your show and whether it fits in there. That's a great term, moral indignation. And that, I think that kind of down, like that, that puts a, a pin on why I feel this way. It's like it's not a moral issue. It's a, a matter of aesthetics and preference and taste and whether or not the artist did a good job. And we can argue that. I'm happy to sit here and argue that. Right. I mean, I feel the same way about, let's say, Quentin Tarantino movies are a great example. I happen to think he's a brilliant filmmaker. Mm -hmm. I also happen to think 90% of what he makes is not appropriate for me. Uh David Lynch, I feel the same way. I think he's brilliant. I think he does a lot of things I don't want to see or can't see because I will find them disturbing because I don't like to see certain kinds of violence. But I think they're both brilliant, original filmmakers. Mm -hmm. So I loved Twin Peaks. Because it was on network television, and that limited what he was able to do in terms of the specific areas where I have difficulty. Mm-hmm. So that worked out well for me. Yeah. Um, when he did the final of his new his revival was a little too much for me. <laughs> and his movies are generally too much for me. I never want to see Blue Velvet again as long as I live. Yeah, but you recognize that that's just the way you're going to perceive the media and not necessarily that the media itself is flawed because you're saying these people did a great job. They're great artists. Yeah. I mean, they may, I mean, Blue Velvet is probably a great movie. It's hard for me to be objective about it because I found it too disturbing. But 
They can Quentin Tarantino makes great movies. My grandmother loved I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet, but my grandmother, who's a hundred, loved mm-hmm. it. Just thought it was the greatest movie and is a huge fan of Quentin. So mm-hmm. there you go, to each their own. Yeah. Like I will tell you, and this is just me. If I know that by the end of the movie the dog dies, not watching that movie. Right. Everybody has their thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't make movies where the dog dies, but right. I'm just saying I'm not going to be your audience. Right. And so when you accept that and start and stop seeing it as absolutes, mm-hmm. you open yourself up to a lot more. And, you know, going back to Star Trek, we're talking about a show that's literally about a universe full of possibilities. Yes. So let's not start putting walls around what we can and can't do for arbitrary reasons. Yep. I agree. A weird, divisive fandom in a very divisive world. Uh-huh. And, and I, I'm, people wonder why I, I talk about these things on my Twitter feed and why I point out cases of fans lifting each other up or trying to bring their communities together. And it's honestly, it boils down to if we can't have a civil conversation or even agree to disagree on something as trivial as a TV show, which is meant to just give us an hour of fun, we don't have a prayer of taking care of bigger problems in the world. Yeah, then lose all hope, folks. Yeah. And, and that's why I really harp on this, because like, it's just, this isn't the reality. that There's more important things going on, absolutely, but we're arguing over the TV show, okay? Can, can, we, can we put some perspective? Can we get that down that we can move on to other stuff? No, and also, I find sometimes there was someone on Twitter, I'm, I'm co-hosting a podcast now, a Trek podcast, and someone was pointing something out and I disagreed with him and we ended up having a brief back and forth on Twitter and by the end I said, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Like, she convinced me. Mm-hmm. So, and I was pretty sure that I was right and then I went, oh, yeah, no, that is a great example of that exact thing that I said didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of history here, both on screen and off. You might not have every detail down and if you do, you might not have the perspective of somebody else Who's just looked at it from a different life? Yep, exactly. Well, that's the fun part now is we're getting so many new fans mm-hmm. that it's it's shocking to me to see Star Trek talked about at such volume. You know, so many people. Mm-hmm. It's exciting, refreshing. It is, and you know, one thing I, I had a, a earlier guest. Are you familiar with Polly Esther? Uh, no. Okay, well, I'm going to send you her contact info because she is somebody you definitely want to keep your eye on. A comedian up in Canada who has a one-woman show about how Star Trek made her life better. Oh. I'll let her tell her own story. Do you know know where she is in Canada? Asks the Canadian. You know, I do know that, but I don't have my notes in front of me, and I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. All right, fair enough. I'll get it to you later, though. Um, But, yeah, she and I were talking, and it came down to she told me how— she watched the didn't see any of the shows until the 2009 movie came out. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. She saw the original series, missed everything else until the 2009 movie, got into it very late in life when she was having some problems. Right. That's an experience. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm sitting here. I watched everything from the moment I'm like 10 years old, probably a little eight to 10 years old moving forward. I grew up with it. That's an experience. We can't give each other our own experiences. Right. That's that's not in our ability to do so. So to hinge your enjoyment of Star Trek on you have to watch this and then that and like this but not that is stupid. I'm going to use that word, stupid. It is stupid. 
I'm just like you can't give me the experience of growing up watching only the original series in reruns when it was that was the only thing out there. I, you just can't do that. Right. And every, so when, you're right. Yeah. When these new fans are coming in saying, I saw Lower Decks and it's really cool. What's everything else about? Don't discount that fan's perspective. Don't say because you've only seen three shows, you don't know anything. They know they like it. That's all I need to know. Yeah. And if they're like, if they like it, then I'm pretty happy. Yeah. And again, that's why I don't pick on the Enterprise fans on Twitter. I go, you know what? I'm happy they're enjoying it. Let me, you, you had a great point about uh, DS9's first episode. Let me throw out a thought for you. Of the shows prior to 2009, I think they're still too new to really judge them. But I think Enterprise actually has the strongest first season of any Star Trek show. I just, I, I preferred the first two seasons to the later seasons, which again, mm-hmm. reverse of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think that it was a strong show. To me, I honestly felt like, here are my biggest issues. One, I felt like it was a, a what's the word? Like a, a response to Voyager in a very negative way, which was, oh, too many women. Too many strong women. So -hmm. they immediately scaled back the women, made it mostly a bunch of white guys. Mm -hmm. And the main characters were these white guys. I thought the stories, I hate to say this, were boring. Mm -hmm. I often fall asleep when I'm trying to rewatch. I think they had some very, I thought Trip was a fantastic character. I liked Phlox. I had moments of liking Hoshi, but she, the rest of them, I thought, you take Scott Bakula, who's a terrific actor, Quantum Leap, he really showed what he can do. Um, are you moving furniture? Uh, no, I just dropped something. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, they gave him nothing to work with. I thought he didn't even have a character to play with. I just He just seemed to make faces and look stern a lot. The stories didn't interest me. The characters were, I just, I found the whole thing mostly pretty doll sorry and i didn't like that they the problem with a prequel Mm -hmm. is that you feel the need to keep going to these familiar things and Mm -hmm. then adding twists and i find it interesting to go meet some i was thought that they were going to meet some new aliens and they immediately Mm -hmm. got caught up in all this political intrigue with andorians and vulcans and they made the vulcans into jerks and i you know i just said this on our own on my own podcast but i do think to is the worst character main character in all of star trek not the actress no okay and that's fair um for me the vulcan thing becomes a real way to explore how i view a character when i don't know anything about them versus how i view them when the show leads me through it because i ask myself what did i know about the vulcans from original series from next gen to a lesser extent voyager what did I know? What did I assume I knew? And how much did I get conflicting information when Enterprise came around? Well, to me, it was more, there's a way, like, Sarek was always arrogant, mm-hmm. but he had a quiet arrogance, mm-hmm. like an elegant arrogance. So that's why it was harder to point out to him when he was being just plain stubborn, right? Mm-hmm. And so I thought on Enterprise, they just they were just mostly jerks <laughs> like it wasn't a subtle thing it was just their snobby superior jerks mm-hmm. so i f- and i didn't like that because i always thought the 
thing about Vulcans is that they're the coolest one in the room. And when you put Vulcans with humans, like Tuvok had the same experience as Spock, which was that everybody made fun of him for being a Vulcan all the time. Mm -hmm. Even when he was stronger and smarter and faster than Mm -hmm. everybody else. So it was a weird dynamic that it's always okay to make fun of Vulcans. Um, and maybe that maybe you can retrofit it and say, well, that's because Vulcans used to be jerks and then Earth people got used to making fun of them. But I just I did not like the portrayal on that show. I and it think, didn't make them seem superior to me. It made them seem like dopes. I think you can maybe read a little bit into uh, the way Star Trek fans want to see themselves and that, you know, they they're usually the coolest ones in the room, but everybody else you know, can't take it and wants to give him a little ribbing. Yeah. I think, think we see ourselves that way a lot. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, it's like with the original series, they were very mysterious because we didn't know much about them. And they were the, the token alien race on a ship that didn't really have any. And then next gen and the movies kind of made them seem almost holy because they were the, the first contact we found out and they everything got better when we met the Vulcans and then Enterprise comes along and it's like yeah but they were jerks <laughs> it's it yeah and I, I wasn't happy with that choice fair enough fair enough and that's that that's okay but I do love a good Trip Tucker episode it, it was good to give him a, a good throwaway line here and there he had a great comic delivery yeah, no, I liked the episodes that were focused on him. I enjoyed those more. Did you get to read any of the books about him that following the series? No, I didn't. Okay, um, I have only read one. I'm looking to read more as as I go along. It's it's definitely a neat way of playing with the character. Um, yeah, I just I also I mean I got to and it's not just because I got to interview him. He was already my favorite character from the show, and then mm-hmm. I got to interview him. He was doing a thing in New York, so I did a phone interview with him that was a lot of fun, and then I went to the event with my son, who was, oh, at the time, maybe 12? I don't know. It was a while ago. Um, and he got to interview him on video for a Trek movie, which, and the way he was with my son, Connor Trenier, was so lovely. And makes me laugh every time I watch that video because he's, he's totally making fun of my kid for being a nerd, even though he's a guy who starred in a Star Trek show. <laughs> to- really sweet guy. A lot of fun. Definitely the champ. Yeah, he was terrific. So that, but I already, he was already my favorite character on the show, even with my complaints about the, the white man trio. Well, um, I still loved him. Yeah. And, and that's a completely valid way to look at it. I mean, I would. It's not a complaint I have per se, but I can see why with the history of shows and, and the, the push to make go more in the direction of diversity, not less, not the greatest move to make. Yeah, a backlash is the word I was looking for. It's, yeah. a, it's a Voyager backlash. Yeah. And, and I didn't me, think that was a fair thing to do. I no. think it's fine. You know, we look at Discovery, which is supposed to take place, well, was supposed to take place before original series, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, but they didn't pretend, they didn't say, oh, well, original series had all these white guys in charge, so we're going to reinstate that. Mm -hmm. They said, let's just, that was reflective of the time in which they were making TV, not reflective of the time in Starfleet. Yes, exactly. So there's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, you know what? We've got all these other people. We're going to mix it up. And that was a great choice. And Enterprise could have made that same choice and chose not to. Agreed. Um, To me... And this does not disagree with anything you're saying. It just kind of adds another spin on it. 
Um, Voyager's, the backlash on Voyager, the problem with Voyager wasn't too many female characters in my mind. I'm just going to give my opinion. It wasn't too many female characters. It was too many characters, period, and episodes that were too short to work with all of them. Well, you know, it's funny. Garrett Wong talks about that a lot on the podcast and says, Mm -hmm. and in the interview I did where he said, he said that we just, we had nine main characters, which was more than anybody else. And as these guys are watching and making their way through, I mean, I just heard Robbie McNeil saying that there was a whole scene where he was sitting in the conference room and he never spoke. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I, I don't necessarily always feel that when I'm watching, but I, I think it's an accurate assessment. Yeah. I remember even when it was on, um, if I remember, uh, because it was on UPN and DS9 was on syndication, Voyager had to be about two and a half minutes shorter than DS9 did, and you could feel it. I mean, yeah. th- those few minutes really just felt like the story was pressed. It was like the, a, a smaller version of the t- animated series effect. They, they shrunk the story down. That was my problem with Voyager, above and beyond anything else. Sometimes. That's not something I noticed a lot, but again, when I do that rewatch... I will. I just love, I loved Voyager so much. I just first, I mean, the women helped, but I also, mm-hmm. I loved all the characters and I thought they really showed characters growing over mm-hmm. time, really growing and changing. I mean, a lot of the arguments I hear about Voyager is that they kept hitting the reset button, um, which complaint. I don't necessarily agree with that, although I see what they mean and I used to not see it and just say, no, you're wrong. Um, but now I see it. But I think I do think they had character growth in a in a great way that was fascinating to watch. And I also liked all the I thought all the characters were very, very rich, like the Deep Space Nine characters. They they filled in great backstories and they came. They brought so much to the table to begin with, whereas Next Generation, which I love so fiercely also, um, we didn't get to know intimately some of the characters if you think about it yeah and another thing i would always point out is that because the voyager was you know kind of this bubble on the other side of the galaxy and there weren't a whole lot of people going on and off of the ship it really we needed to see more of everybody else other than the bridge crew which they got better at later on in the series yeah, I, I would agree with that. It would have been nice to see. There were a few. And my, my friend Naomi Wildman, who I love. Yes, sweet girl. <laughs> I loved that kid. As a kid, I wished I was, but I was never <laughs> as cool as she was. <laughs> There's something about the kids on Star Trek is that they become wish fulfillment for the writers. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. And sometimes too, uh, not well done. Uh, that's not a sentence, but you know what I mean? They didn't always do it well. Like Wesley obviously mm-hmm. had some very bad moments and silly, naive moments and superhero mm-hmm. moments. And then other times was great where they explored him in a richer way. But they weren't always great at doing kids, but Naomi Wildman rocked. Yeah. I am not on the Wesley hate train. No, I like I'm, I'm not either. I like the actor. Yeah, I like the actor. A lot of people have their issues. I think he's... I find him to be a smart, thoughtful person. I mean, I've never met him, but when I read what he has to say, I find it to be smart and thoughtful. And I think that his character had he had some dopey, some terrible outfits and mm-hmm. some dopey episodes, but also some really good ones. 
And I thought I they did good things with him at the end, actually. I haven't met Mr. Wheaton in person, but I have seen him in person. We didn't get a chance to talk. Um, but he was he did a reading of the book he was writing at the time. And it's a fantastic book. I, I have to check and see if it's available now because it's when it is available, it's going to be a hit. I, I love it. But just when we were talking about the book and we were answering questions about what he did and where he took the characters, his insight was so genuine and his appreciation for the fact that we were there just listening to him was just completely honest that you could tell that he was really invested in just writing a good book and writing it for people who would care about it. And there's no way I can't respect that. Here's the other thing about his honesty. Mm -hmm. I, this is such a crazy thing I listen to, but Macaulay Culkin has this strange podcast Mm -hmm. and he had Will Wheaton on it, which is why I listened because I'm not a big Macaulay fan, but the, (laughs) <laughs> sorry for the cough the two of them talked about their terror they both had a terrible childhood of being manipulated by their parents into mm-hmm. and sometimes threatened you know a lot there was physical violence too mm-hmm. and forced to be actors when they mm-hmm. didn't want to and it wasn't what they wanted mm-hmm. and if you listen to that conversation it's very raw and very mm-hmm. real and very painful and i think when you look at things in that context then maybe you understand him a little more i found it fascinating agreed and uh, that came up in the time we were talking about his book and some of the panels he did afterward and i really admired how he communicated that and and made it very clear what was going on without being morbid or completely throwing his parents under the bus i mean he was he spoke of them i won't use the word he was very respectful. He he didn't dwell on it, is what I'm trying to say. But the message was clear. The thought was clear. He, he And you could feel for him without him having to give every last detail. And I, that shows that that's definitely... It, it, it's just tragic that any child has to go through that. Yeah, and he, he, pro- he definitely gave them a lot of blame in that podcast episode. Very well-deserved mm-hmm. blame. He doesn't speak to them. He was angry. Mm-hmm. And I understand it because they've never acknowledged the truth of what happened. No. So, which I think a lot of people in similar situations need to hear and hear that you can emerge from that anyway. Mm-hmm. And and then he went and he has his own beautiful family. Anyway, I, I'm a fan of his also. He's on my interview wish list for sure. Yeah. Likewise. I mean, hey, Will, if you're on the, if you're hearing this, give me a call. <laughs> I also think if, since he's uh, hosting the after show for Lower Decks, which isn't every episode, but it's every once in a while, be interesting when it's him and Jerry O'Connell together, since yes. they both did Stand By Me. That that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I had my own ridiculous experience with Jerry O'Connell many years ago um, that wasn't so good, but I'm assuming he's grown up a little since then. Sure. <laughs> we all have those days. He's, I was doing a live, I was working on a live show. I was a producer. It was a two hour daily live show, which is a ridiculous concept anyway. And he was a guest and I think it was St. Patrick's Day and he was late for a live show and we had to keep rearranging the entire show on the fly. And he'd been having some drinks before he got there. So it was <laughs> a very difficult day except that once we got him in front of the cameras he was fine he was funny he was a great segment well 
Laurie, I want to make sure I wrap this up and get a chance to talk to you off mic because there's definitely a few things I want to bounce off of you. <laughs> uh, but I really appreciate you being here, and I would like to have you back anytime because I always have a lot of fun with you. Great. So do I. So where can people find you on the web if they haven't already? Well, so the first thing is I have a new um, Anthony Pascali, who's the founder of Trek Movie, and I have a brand new podcast, which I'd love to plug, called um, All Access Star Trek. And we are basically looking at everything new in the Star Trek universe. So right now we're, we are weekly reviewing Lower Decks. We will be doing the same for Discovery and any other new show that comes up. And we start each episode just with a quick look at the latest Star Trek news and try to discuss it a little bit in depth. We pick a couple of items. So that's been really fun. We're learning as we go. We're getting better as we go and having more fun with it. Um, so I'm still writing for Trek Movie. You can find me on Twitter at Flubish, F-L-O-O-B-I-S-H. Um, I have been writing some articles for Star StarTrek.com. I write for a site called Taffeta. And where else can you find me? Oh, I have my own website, LaurieElster.com, <laughs> which I built to get work, and it worked, and it got me work. All of that is going to be on the show notes for this episode at AaronBosick.com. Laurie, thank you again so much. I can't wait to talk to you next time. Thank you. That was great. Fun. I would like to thank Laurie for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community-building part of the show today, I would like to talk about social media. Of course, I'm going to recommend you like our Facebook page and my Twitter feed, at Aaron Bossig, but I'd like to put a little spin on that. If you know somebody else who would benefit from being on our Twitter feed, why don't you mention it to them as well? Just say, hey, go ahead and follow this person, and if I know that's what you're doing, I will follow them back. I have no qualms about that, especially if they're cool. And if you want to go the extra mile, go ahead and see if your favorite convention would consider following me on their Twitter feed as well. I like to keep tabs on every convention I can find worldwide. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.